0: Good morning, church. We're continuing our series that we called Shaped by God. And a couple weeks ago, we began the series by saying that God never makes copies of anything. He only makes originals. Why? Because we know originals are always worth more than the copies. God made you for a purpose, and he has wired you and shaped you uniquely, unlike anyone else in the world. And if you don't be you... The world gets robbed of something that has made. If you try and take up somebody else's spot, the spot that he created you to occupy goes empty. You'll remember we've talked about this principle from architecture that form follows function. You tell me what you want this building to be for. Is it a home? A family will live there. Is it a restaurant? People will eat there. Is it a hospital? People will be cared for there. You tell me what you want the the function to be, and I will design the form. Form follows function. But it turns out when it comes to people that actually the opposite is the case, that function follows form. What we mean by that is that if you study the way that God has made you, then you begin to understand what it is that you're supposed to do with your life. And we have used as a shorthand for understanding the way God has shaped and made you this acrostic five letters that spell the word shape. The S standing for spiritual gifts. What is it that God has divinely gifted me to do? Heart. What is it that I love? What am I passionate about? Abilities, the things that I'm just, I'm naturally good at. These things come easily to me. Personality, what makes you distinct when it comes to your temperament and your nature? And then the rich uh, tapestry of experiences of your life, your vocational and educational and relational experiences, all of those things, good and bad. Today we're looking at the letter H. H stands for? I'm just checking to see if you're paying attention. For heart, of course, yes. And this uh, this is a great scripture from Proverbs chapter 27. Let's bring it up on the screen. As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. Would you say that with me? As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the person. When we talk about heart, we're talking about your passions, your interests, your desires. There's an emotional component to this. This isn't just cognitive stuff. This is your hopes and dreams and ambitions. This is the stuff that gets your pulse racing. What are the things that motivates you to get out of bed in the morning? What drives you? What excites you? What, what energizes you? That's your heart. And you know, uh, in medicine, they say that your heartbeat is actually a unique biometric identifier. How many of you have phones that you just kind of You swipe up and it looks at your face and recognizes that it's you because your face with its biometric mapping points is unlike anybody else's face. Or maybe you've got a a thumbprint scanner because your fingerprint is unlike anyone else's. Well, it turns out your heartbeat is unique to you and there is no one else with a heartbeat just like you. And what's true physically is also true emotionally and spiritually. There are things that you are interested in and passionate about, that the people around you could care less about. There are things that are fascinating to you, that you could think about and talk about all day long. And then there are other things that just leave you bored to tears. And those things, the unique mix of them, are probably very different than the person that you brought with you this morning, or the person that's sitting in the row in front of behind you, or the person, if you're joining us online, who is across the hallway or just across the sofa from you. God gave us each a different emotional heartbeat, and we all like different things. If it weren't that way, I just think there'd be a whole bunch of things in the world that never got done. Because we all like doing the same thing, and so we're all working over here, and all this other stuff never gets attended to. But thankfully, God didn't make the world that way, and God didn't make people that way. He's given us different interests and different gifts. We looked at the gift section last week. In fact, if you if you missed the first two weeks of the series, you can always jump on our website, mcbc.org, and catch up on the messages, any of the messages there, but particularly pay attention to the first two weeks in this series. When it comes to heartbeat, we're all different. How many of you would say, listen, you know, I don't just like dogs. I love dogs. I'm a dog lover through and through. How many of you, that's you? Okay, how many of you say, it's not dogs, it's cats. For me, it's just cat, it's cat. Any cat lovers? Any dog lovers sitting next to cat lovers? <laughs> Are you getting along okay? We have a dog and a cat. They don't get along at all. They just sit on opposite sides of the living room and scowl at each other all day until somebody gets home and then they compete for attention. How many of you would say, listen, uh... I have to get my football fix every week on the weekend. It has to be on the television for a little while. Otherwise, I go into the next week just dry and deprived. Something in my soul shrinks if I can't get a little bit of football into me. Notice I said football, and I'll let you decide whether it's the American variety or the more global variety. But Is that any of you? Football? Weekly? Yeah. Thank you for your honesty. How many of you, if there were never football on the TV in your house again, That would be a sign of God's bounty and beauty in your life. (laughs) Yes, How many of you are sitting beside somebody who is on the opposite? Now, we do marriage counseling here. In fact, we have the prayer corner set up at the end of the service. You could make your way over here. We'll intercede for you. (laughs) The point is that there are things that each of us care about deeply. And there are things that, if we're honest, we could care less about. Where do you think that comes from? I think it comes from God. In fact, listen to what the Bible says. This is the words that uh, Marian read for us. Philippians 2, verse 13. It is God who produces in you the desires. That's your interests, your passions, your hopes and dreams, ambitions. God produces you in you the desires and the actions that please him. God made you to be you. Uh, he doesn't want you to pretend to be interested in a bunch of things that interest other people. He wants you interested in the things that you are made to enjoy. And here's the important thing when you do what God has shaped you to do, at a heart level, two things inevitably happen. One, you will enjoy it more. And two, you're probably going to be good at it. I mean, I wonder how many people would say they really delight in their work. They say, I was just, I was made for this. I delight in my work. Most of the time, people. People greet their employment, their work, with one of two attitudes. They either wake up in the morning and say, hey, good morning, Lord, or they'll wake up and say, good Lord, is it morning? (laughs) Which one describes you? If you're working in the area that reflects your heart posture, you probably won't need a supervisor to look in on you all the time. You don't need uh, bonuses to motivate you. You just flat out enjoy what it is that you do. On the other hand, if you've ever been in a job that you weren't designed to do, that you weren't shaped to do, that you don't have a heart for, boy, that's a drag, isn't it? I mean, the clock just ticks away like the hands are covered in molasses. Friday can't come soon enough and And Monday feels like a punishment every week. Today we're going to talk about that heart posture, what it means to attend to it, what it means to follow it, how to use it as a clue to understanding God's purpose for your life. And right off the bat, I I want to say that one of the challenges here is that if you have any life experience behind you at all, and that's all of you, including the little ones you're holding in your arms, We all come here with some history. And often as part of that history, our hearts get a little bit bruised along the way. So we're going to have to attend to some of the issues around woundedness. One of the things that happens when, when you work in the area of your heart's posture is that there's not just a level of excitement or creativity, but you'll probably find that you're productive, that you're effective. Uh, The Bible calls this being fruitful. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 8, he says, You give glory to my Father when you produce a lot of fruit. I don't think Jesus is trying to roll out some sort of treadmill of legislated performance so we feel like we always have to be running and running and running in order to earn the delight of God and the glory of God. it's It's just recognizing that when you work in the area of your heart's true home that you're fruitful, you're effective, you are made to shine. Marian, that's a beautiful section of that scripture that you read to shine like lights of the world. You are made to shine. You're not meant to cover up and bury the things that you are passionate about and interested in. You were made to shine. In fact, Jesus says exactly that. Matthew 5, 16, Let your light so shine before others that they see all your good deeds and they praise your Father in heaven. Notice it doesn't say anything there about speaking. Let your light shine. Not, not always speak your light. Just let your life shine out in the world. People will see what's good in you, and they'll give praise to your Father in heaven. When people become what God made them to be, it brings glory to God, and people notice. I promise you, people will notice. You were made to shine. But here's what happens inevitably. As life goes on, have you ever found yourself feeling like my light gets a little dimmer? Uh, that that I don't shine as bright, I don't feel as radiant. I, I'm not as confident as maybe I once was. The stuff that we were once passionate about, it gets kind of buried. It gets it gets pushed down and covered by layers of dust and and debris. So before we can talk about this this heart posture and following your heart. We're going to deal with the things that have robbed us of our passion. You might call these heart stoppers. And for the physicians in the room, we're going to spend a little bit of time in the cardiology department, because these are like spiritual cholesterol. These block up your arteries, and they make it hard to live. Here's the first one. Number one heart stopper, I think, is disappointment. Because what happens when there's a disappointment in your life is you tend to retreat. When you get hurt, you pull back into a shell and you say, I'm not going to let anyone or anything hurt me like that again. And maybe you give up on your dreams a little bit. You set your ambitions aside, your interests, your passions, and you operate in this protective mode where the number one agenda is, I just don't want to be hurt anymore. It's like a self-imposed prison. It's not really living. Proverbs 13.12 says, A hope deferred, a dream, an ambition, a desire deferred, makes the heart sick. If at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race. But if we let disappointment control our lives, it has a way of stopping up the heart. Fear is the second heart stopper. Keeps you from being what God wants to be. It's another one of those kind of self-imposed prison. Uh, Jesus tells a great story about this. It's called the parable of the talents. You know, we actually get the English word talent from this story in the Bible. We think of it as abilities, things that that we're good at. They come naturally to us. But in the Bible, the word talent was actually a monetary measurement. It was like a, a weight in silver, And so Jesus tells the story about a wealthy man who gives out some money, some talents to his servants. The first gets five talents, five bags of silver, if you like. The second gets three, and the last one gets one. And he says to all of them, go out and and have fun with it. Invest it. Make the most of what you've been given. That's what God says, I think, to all of us. Make the most of what you've been given. I'm not going to judge you according to what somebody else got, I'm going to ask you to make the most out of what I have given you. And so the first guy comes back after a a number of years and says, uh, here it is and more. I've doubled your investment. Great job, the master says. Second guy comes back. He's also doubled his investment. Good job, he says. The third guy walks in, shoulders slumped, eyes looking at the ground. You know what? I, I didn't do anything with it. I took it out in the field, I dug a hole, and I buried it. Why would you do that, the master says. Remember the answer? Because I was afraid. I was afraid. Fear can paralyze. Fear, fear can, can cause us to bury the investment God has made in us, to bury our talents. It's fear that can keep you from living in that sweet spot where your your ambitions and your desires meet. Fear can rob you of all of that and limit your vision and kind of it atrophies your heart. It's a heart stopper. Disappointment and fear. Here's the third one. No surprise, guilt. And it's a big one. I don't think you can carry with you a lot of guilt and be living out of the dream and passion of your life at the same time? Why guilt just saps all of your energy? It's like carrying around a big bag of garbage on your back. Everywhere you go, it's exhausting. You're carrying with you all of the regrets of the past, all the shame of the past, all the guilt. You can't be confident and guilty at the same time. People lose their confidence. And they're always thinking, what if somebody finds this out about me? What if it's revealed? I don't think God intended us to live these guilt-ridden lives. That's why Jesus came. That's what the gospel is all about. He came to earth, was nailed to a cross, so you would stop nailing yourself to a cross. He was hung up for you and for your hang-ups, if you like. He died for your sins so that you could be forgiven and completely. He's paid them so you don't have to keep on paying them. That's an amen moment, by the way. There you are. And you can stop beating yourself up about these things. Everything you've done wrong, Jesus is addressing that. That's just the gospel. And that's going to set my heart free. I'm going to move ahead now into what I've wanted to be, not carrying around this garbage bag of guilt and shame and, and always beating myself up. Disappointment, fear, guilt, all heart stoppers. Here's a fourth one. It's a big one too. Bitterness. Bitterness will eat you alive. It's worse than cancer. When you become resentful, when you're always thinking about how to retaliate and get revenge, it just leaves you stuck in the past. If guilt is the baggage you carry around about what you've done, bitterness is what you carry around about what's been done to you. You can't get on with the present or the future because you're just so hung up in the past about what's happened to you. Let it go. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to be given, and it's not because they deserve it. But remember, you didn't deserve it either. God gave it. Let it go. Because you need to get on with your life. And when you hold on to hurt from the past, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like driving a car and only looking at the rearview mirror. Inevitably, you're going to crash it. Your past is the past. The people in your past, they can't hurt you in the present unless you allow them to do so. Every time you go over it again and again and again in your head, it's useless. Let it go. Bitterness is a heart stopper. It's a heart disease. It keeps you. It robs you from enjoying life. And here's the last one. Rejection. Maybe the most painful one of all. Anyone who's ever suffered rejection, From a parent or a former spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know how quickly this can put you into cardiac arrest. Rejection hurts. Listen to what the Bible says about all of these heart conditions. There have been verses up on the screen for each of them. About fear, the Bible says, Proverbs 12, anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. About guilt, it says, Proverbs 40, my sins, they've caught up with me so that I can no longer see. I've lost heart. About bitterness, it says, when my heart was bitter and I was angry, I was senseless, Psalm 73. You don't think rationally when you're resentful. You do stupid things. About rejection, it says, they cut me down with sharpened tongues. They aimed their bitter words like arrows straight from my heart. Some of you, you were growing up and maybe you heard words like that on the playground, maybe at home. You're worthless, you're unattractive, you're never going to amount to anything. And on and on and on it goes. Maybe it wasn't a kid who said it, maybe it was an adult. And you believed them because they're an adult and they've got to be right, but they weren't. It's a lie, it's a lie from hell. And you need to go back somehow and erase the tape and stop building your life on the foundation of what they said and building it on the strong foundation of what God says about you. And he said this, I made you, I formed you, I have a purpose for your life, I gifted you with talents and abilities and a heart that races with excitement about things. And I love it when you do what you were made to do. And maybe you need to stop listening to so much to what other people are saying to you and listen first to what God says to you. If you feel like giving up, don't give up. If you feel like jettisoning some area of your passion and excitement, don't do it. Instead, listen as God whispers, I'm here to reshape your heart. In fact, my prayer for you and I, for all of us, is that we find a way to get back to what God intended us to be and not waste one more second trying to be what we're not. God made you to be you. And when you do it, it brings God glory. There's no glory in pretending to be somebody else, no matter how great you may think they are. The Bible says, this is a great verse, Colossians three twenty-three. If you have your Bibles, this is this is one to circle. It says, whatever you do, I don't care if it's in the garage or the garden or in an office or in a school, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Whatever you do, do it with passion and interest and vitality. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. So what does that look like? How do I I work at it with all my heart? Even when my heart hurts and as it's being healed, how do I work at it with all my heart? Well, I'm going to give you sort of four suggestions, and they, they build on each other. Here's the first, and this is how healing begins. There needs to be an openness to what God can do in our lives. You need to open that thing up as wide as you can to allow God to be at work. Remember, he's the one who gave you your heart in the first place. That's the start. Nobody, nobody can change your heart like Jesus. There's no wonder of medicine or pharmacy that can change a human heart like Jesus. And I don't care what heartache you've been through or what habit you're dealing with or what hang-up you can't let go of, nobody deals with the human heart like Jesus. God gave you a heart and he seeded into it passions and abilities and desires. All those things came from God, and they're wired into you. But, and this is really important, unless those things are under his influence and control, those passions which are divinely given can easily be abused and misdirected and misapplied, and they'll get wasted. All around the world, I think, there are millions of people, passionate people, gifted people, with interests and dreams and ambitions and they're being misused and squandered and neglected. And that's why in spite of all the talent and ability in their heart, they're still unhappy. Because it's, it's not being used the way it was intended. When your passions are misused, it makes you miserable. And maybe some of you are saying, you know, Richard, I, I need to be honest. I, I, I don't even think I'm really that passionate about anything anymore. I mean, I'm, I'm just surviving. If anything, that's what COVID taught me. We're all just surviving. Can I say this? And I don't mean it to be, to be harsh. I mean this to be an invitation. If you don't feel passionate about anything, I wonder if at some level it means you are not connected with God the way that you want to be. When you're plugged into God, it's like plugging into 220 volts. The closer you get to God, the more passionate you become because God is a passionate God. The only reason you have emotions is because you are made in the image of God and God is passionate and emotional. The Bible says he gets jealous of things that rob You have the experience of being with him. It says that he is loving. It says he has feelings that get hurt when his children drift away from him. The only reason you have emotions is because God gave them to you. He's an emotional God. Another great verse. I don't think we have this on the screen, but, but take a note of it. Jeremiah 31, verse 3. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I will never stop loving you. Does that sound like a dispassionate God? There's nothing, God says, that can make me stop loving you. That's passion. In the book of Isaiah, it says, See, I've engraved you right here on the palm of my hands. Almost like a foretelling of Jesus and the nails that go right through those hands. This is how much I love you. This is how passionate I am about you. No one will ever love you the way God does. He's a passionate God, and if you spend time in your life in a sacred relationship with God, that is bound to spill over. There will be passion. It turns out who you hang out with really does make a difference, right? We say this to our teenagers, but I would say it to their parents too. You put a group of dispassionate people around somebody, people who are apathetic and jaded and sarcastic, and, and just give it a couple of weeks. And you will watch as it infects their soul and robs them of passion. But, but if you surround them with people who are energetic and enthusiastic, oh, hey, what a great word, enthusiastic. You know, that's, a, that's an English word that has its roots in, in, in a great biblical concept. Enthusiasm, and en means in theos, in God. In God, there is passion. There is excitement. It's enthusiasm. Revelation 3, verse 20 has this great image. It says, behold, I'm standing the doorway to your life and I'm knocking away. And if you hear me knocking, open the door. I'll come in and we'll hang out together. We'll eat. It'll be be a celebration and there will be passion. We're going to build a relationship. Not not a lot of religious routines, but we're going to build something you'll be enthusiastic about. But I think... At least whenever I've seen that depicted in stained glass or in paintings, Jesus is just standing at the door. He's such a gentleman. You know, He's not got a battering ram. He's not plowing his way into your life. There is an opportunity, but there is a necessary response that says, I'm going to stick my finger in the socket. I need voltage in my life. There it is. Jesus Christ standing at the door. Have you opened it? First step. First step, open yourself to Jesus. Here's the second one. If there's healing that needs to happen, let God heal. Let God heal. Everybody here has had their heart broken in some ways. Maybe you've come today and there's a lot of heartbreak, disappointment, fear, shame, guilt, all those things, and they just they strike a chord in you, and, and, and you're uncomfortable in the chair because it's just real. And there's been hurt and ridicule and rejection, I think it's in our pain that God is closest to us, whether we realize it or not. These beautiful words from Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How does he do it? Well, sacred heart surgery, I guess. This heart you've got, wounded, atrophied, beaten up, let me operate. For the guilty heart, let's, let's inject forgiveness and see what it does to restore the muscle. For the resentful heart, let's surround it with peace. For the anxious heart, let's try infuse infuse confidence. For the lonely heart, a sense of love and worth. For the human heart that has been shriveled up by bitterness and anger, a new regimen, a healthy regimen that helps people move forward in being forgiving and loving and kind. It's just God in the operating room saying, let me do a work on your heart and it will set you free. So you open your heart to God. You allow God to heal. Here's the third thing. There's a listening posture that you assume. You listen with your heart. You know what the problem is here, at least for me. You're going so fast that there's not really time to stop and listen. As a generation, we're busy. We're in a hurry. We are, as somebody once described, all accelerator, no brakes. Romans 12, verse 3, which you have on the screen. uh, this This is a statement that applies to those moments when we stop and listen and think. Be honest in your estimate of yourselves. What I suggest is that you get alone with God and ask yourself some questions. And maybe you want to journal out the questions and the answers. What is it that I love to do? What is it that I've always dreamed of doing? What fascinates me? Where have I been most effective in my life? Listen closely to the way God has made you. The questions you want to ask as you listen to your heart. And then Galatians 6, verses 4 to 5. Make a careful exploration of who you are and of the work that you've been given. And then, and I love this, sink yourself into that. But don't compare yourself to others. I guess that was a problem even in the first century. Don't compare yourself to others. Sink deeply into that into who God made you to be. Open your heart. Let God heal your heart. Listen to your heart. And finally, and this is just the practical component of it, take time to explore the options because when you listen to your heart, it's going to open up a whole new field of possibilities. Take time and look at your options. You don't just jump into the pool without checking the temperature. I don't know. Maybe you do. I don't do that. Uh, You don't jump in, certainly, before you admit to yourself that you can't swim. Do your due diligence. The Bible says, Proverbs 19, verse 2, desire, that's your heart and ambitions and and goals and, and the things that you love. Desire without knowledge is not good. Don't be overly hasty, for to do so is to sin and to miss the mark. Saying, don't be reckless in this. I mean, don't be irresponsible. Do your due diligence before you just dive in. Just because you love it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gifted to do it. Remember, it's a whole package, S-H-A-P-E. It all goes into it. I love Thai food. Karina loves Thai food. Maybe we should open a Thai restaurant. Wait, 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 wait. You know, just because we love it doesn't mean we should do it. Any restauranteurs here with a word of caution, don't do it. In in fact, they say 95% of all new business startups fail within the first three years. Why? Often desire without knowledge. A little prudence, a little good sense, a little forethought and planning avoids a lot of pain. So talk to some people. People are doing this thing that you're excited to try. People who are successful in the area that you want to explore. Read and study. Maybe take a trip or do a course. Bounce some ideas off your small group. That's why our small groups exist for for times like this. We need the wisdom of other people. Experiment a little. Isn't experiment a great word? Experiment with some things. Volunteer. Get involved. If you're going to follow your heart and launch out in faith, you'll expect that God is going to be with you. But have a sense of, of what it is that you're dangling your toes in. God has given you the most amazing promise as you do this, you know. Psalm seven four says you delight yourself in the Lord. It means you put God first. God, you're number one. I want to do with my life what you want me to do with my life. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. What a promise. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire the desires of your heart. I'm going to lead you in prayer in just a moment. And as we do that, maybe you want to think about which of those heart stoppers has really been robbing you of your joy and your passion. Is it disappointment, fear, guilt, resentment, ridicule? Jesus wants to heal that in you. John ten ten, he said, I've come to give you real life, abundant life, a passionate life, life in all of its fullness, a life better than you have ever dreamed of. Let me pray for us. Would you join me? Dear Jesus, we open our hearts to you today. You made us. You made our hearts. You know what fills them. We open it all up to you. We feel you, Lord, knocking on the door of our life. And, and today we respond, we invite you, Lord Jesus, would you come in? Would you begin to do a work of healing in my life? Where I've been bruised and knocked around and battered and broken, would you begin to heal those scars and that disappointment? Where fear and guilt and rejection, bitterness have robbed me of joy. God, would you... Would you bring wholeness and health? God, help me, help each of us to attend carefully to our own hearts, to discover what it is that you made us to love and be interested in and and the dreams that you implanted in us. And then, God, to explore all the options. And then once we know, Lord, give us the courage to launch ourselves out in faith and trust you. today, Lord, we say to you, our hearts are yours. We know that we've been shaped to serve you. We want to do it starting today and for the rest of our lives. And we want to do it in Jesus' name and for his sake, knowing that it gives you glory and it's a glory that we get to share. So in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, Amen. amen.